We're so excited today to talk to you about, we're going we're gonna to talk about happiness. And I heard the story of a young lady that was uh, at a wedding. She was a little girl and she whispered to her mom when she saw the, the bride come down the aisle. She said, mommy, why is the bride wearing white? And the mom said, well, because white is the color of happiness. And today is the happiest day of her life. And the little girl thought about it for a minute and she whispered back to her mom, well, then why is the groom wearing black? And so we're going to talk about happiness today. And I want to actually do something that's a little different than what we've done before. If you're in the living room with your family or friends, I'm going to ask you guys to interact with each other. Uh, if you don't have anyone in the room with you right now, we're going to ask you to just interact by using some of the reactions on Facebook. So uh, I'm going to give you some scenarios and I want you to think about whether this would make you happy or cause you to worry. So those are your two options to be happy or to worry, to be anxious, okay? So if you're doing the reactions on Facebook for happy, we want you to use the ha-ha reaction, right? The laughing one. And then if you're using, uh, if you want to say it would cause me to worry, we want you to use the wow reaction, which normally would be wow. But today we're saying, oh, that would make me, okay? So that's how we kind of got that together, all right? So happy is ha-ha, and then the worry is the wow reaction, and if you're sitting with your family, we want you to share with each other how that would make you feel. So here's the first situation. Would this make you happy or cause you worry or anxiety? Ready? Here we go. The first one is getting a promotion at work. Getting a promotion at work. Would that make you happy or cause you to worry? So let's see your reactions. All right. The second one uh, for students, we'll kind of emphasize them uh, for just a minute and maybe the singles as well. But you're getting, you get a text or a message from someone that you have a crush on. Would that make you happy or would that cause you worry and anxiety? All right. The next one, getting a new car. And let's say that you bought a new car. Would that bring you happiness or would that bring you worry and anxiety? So what's your reaction to that one? Okay. The next one. Meeting new friends, the idea of meeting new friends, does that make you happy or does that cause you to worry and feel anxiety? All right, the next one, having your first child, happy or worry and anxiety? The next one, moving to your own place. So maybe for the young people, like moving to your own place, would that make you happy or worry, and if you already have a place where you stay, maybe getting a new house, a bigger house, how would that make you happy or cause you to worry? So kind of discuss that for a second, give us your reaction. And then the last one today, and I think this is probably one of the most important ones I'm gonna share with you today, and it is listening to this sermon, to listening to Robbie preach. Does that make you happy or does that make you worry uh, or maybe angry or whatever it may be? Okay, good thing there's no snooze reaction, right? The falling asleep. So there are moments in our lives that I think bring us great happiness. But if we're honest, a lot of us struggle with feeling anxiety and worry. And what's really interesting when you think back to certain moments in your life that you think make you happy with those great moments of happiness can also come great anxiety. I was thinking about the day that I got married and I was so happy and I'll never forget the way Leslie looked that day when she was walking down the aisle but I remember also on my wedding day feeling tremendous anxiety because getting married when you're a 23-year-old kid 
is just overwhelming. Like, oh my goodness, the responsibility of providing and, and taking care of each other. I mean, all of those things. So in this great moment of moment of happiness, I also felt great anxiety. I felt the same way when I had our first son, Luke. I mean, I was just so in love and just so enamored with this kid and just one of the happiest days of my life. But yet at the same time, I changed the first diaper and I about had a panic attack. I thought, I don't even know what I'm doing, how to, how to do this. And so sometimes even our moments of great joy can bring us anxiety as well. So maybe share with us, do you have some of those moments that, man, it was really happy, a great moment for you, but also at the same time, it caused great worry and anxiety. Maybe post some of those in the comments or discuss those with your family. These two ideas of joy and happiness and worry and anxiety are going to come crashing together in Paul's letter to the Philippians. So we're going to be back in Philippians today. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, bring it up on your phone, whatever app you may be using. But in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is going to bring the idea of happiness and anxiety or worry together in verse 4 of Philippians 4. He writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now rejoice in verse 4, that word, it means to be full of cheer or to be happy. So back in 2014, the, the number one song in both the U.S. and the U.K. that year sold about 8 million copies just between those two countries was the song Happy by Pharrell. And the only way I knew it was I loved the, the movie Despicable Me, and it was released with the soundtrack of that movie. And in that song, he talks about happiness, and there's some comparisons that he makes that I'd like to share with you. He says that uh, happiness, he compares it to feeling like a room without a roof. Okay, and one line of the song says, I'm a hot air balloon that could go to space with the air like I don't care, baby, by the way, <laughs> which I always crack up when I read some of these lyrics. It, you know, I, I'm a hot air balloon. I'm, I'm a room without a roof. Like, I don't, I don't even know what that means. But if you've ever heard the song, it's really upbeat. It's really something that, uh, you know, has this great tune to it. And the idea that Paul is talking about in verse four, when he says the word rejoice it means happiness, to be filled with cheer. Now, Paul qualifies something in that verse, this teaching of the word rejoice, he ties it to something else. Notice what he says in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. In the Lord is where real lasting happiness and joy can be found. To rejoice in the Lord is to find your source of happiness and joy and cheer in your life in the person of Jesus, in the presence of God. We can rejoice in the Lord. It, it, the language here denotes rejoice in your connection with God. We can rejoice that there's a God who knows us and loves us. We can rejoice in the relationship that we have with God. We can rejoice in the satisfaction of having a living relationship with God. You see, the Lord is the source of real joy and happiness. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we're reminded that we know that those, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter tells us, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There is a God who loves us and cares for us and that calls us into his presence and into his family by being saved by the blessed work of Jesus Christ. And Paul calls us to rejoice in the Lord. 
You belong to him. He cares for you and that all things are going to work together for your good. But notice also in verse four that Paul says something else about joy. Not only should we rejoice in the Lord, but he uses the word always. Rejoice in the Lord always. In every situation of our lives, we are called to have joy and to have happiness in the Lord. If we're honest, for me at least, I feel like sometimes my happiness with God kind of feels like a roller coaster. It goes up and down. When things are really great, when my circumstances are good, I feel like my joy is greater, my happiness is greater. But when things get difficult, I can feel some of that happiness you know, kind of fading away. Do you feel that way too? Does Do you feel like sometimes your, your joy and your happiness in God seems to be going up and down? If that's you, maybe just give us a hand raise, a hallelujah, say, yes, that's me. Because I think sometimes we forget that we're called as Christians to have joy in the Lord always, in every circumstance, in good times and in bad. When we're under attack or when we're at peace, when we're free or we're as Paul is in this passage under house arrest in Rome, regardless of the circumstance, we can have joy always. Why? Because Paul says we are to rejoice in the Lord. You are his child and he is the source of our joy. But then you get to the something else in this passage. We get to that word in verse six. I want you to notice beginning in verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Paul calls us to something in verse six that if I'm just honest, can seem impossible. Because Paul says in that, in that verse, do not be anxious about anything. And, and I think it's reasonable to say, yeah, for the most part, we should you know, find our joy and not be worried about things. But can we just be real that it's difficult to imagine that no matter what we face in our lives, that we won't worry, that we won't have some measure of anxiety. That word anxious that you see there in verse six, it means to be pulled in different directions. And, and it might be something like this, that our hopes and fears are, are like this and our fears are kind of pulling in this direction and our hopes are, are being pulled in the other direction. And that's how it feels to worry that our fears are pulling us this way and our hopes are pulling the other way. And Paul says, we shouldn't be anxious about anything in our lives, that there should never be any circumstance in our lives where we're feeling pulled apart inside and in our hearts. We are called to not be anxious in anything. The old English word or root word from which we get our word worry, it means to strangle. And if you've ever felt anxious about something or you've ever worried or you struggle with anxiety, you know that that's exactly how it feels. At times we can worry so much that we find it difficult to breathe. We feel like we're being overwhelmed. We're being pulled in every direction and maybe even feel like we're drowning in our circumstances. And the spiritual root of anxiety is really twofold. The root of anxiety is wrong thinking paired with wrong feelings. It's, it's a wrong mindset, whether it could be misinformation, it could be lack of information, but many times our anxiety is rooted in a wrong mindset or wrong thinking. 
but it's also rooted in wrong feelings. We find ourselves in circumstances that we don't like, and so all of a sudden we feel anxiety because we feel like this is not the way that things should be. And the antidote for anxiety is not going to be someone merely telling, well, you shouldn't worry about that. You ever had someone say that to you? You're worried and stressed out about something, and they'll say, oh, don't worry about that. It'll all take care of itself. That's not really how we're going to deal with anxiety to just tell ourselves, well, well, don't worry about that. Where we want to be is where Paul, what Paul describes in verse 7. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I told you that anxiety is rooted in wrong thinking and wrong feelings. The wrong thinking is your mind and your wrong feelings are in your heart. And where we want to be is in verse 7 that the peace of God that surpasses anything that we could understand would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard, it's like forming a garrison around it. It's to stand guard and, and be ready to defend at all costs. And God says that there can be this part of us where we have that peace of God that is guarding our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus. You'll find it again in verse 9 of, of chapter 4 where he says, Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That's what we want in our lives. We want peace. And Paul says that we should rejoice always and don't be anxious about anything. And if we can get to that place, then we will find that perfect peace of God. And don't you long for that in your life? Man, where, where you could be happy in every circumstance, as Paul later says in chapter four, to be content regardless of what you're up against, to find joy in everything in your life and to never worry about anxiety or, or worry or fear, any of those things. How can we do that? How can we have the right mind and the right heart? Well, Paul gives us three keys in this passage and I wanna share those with you here today. <clears throat> the first one is in verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The first key that I want to share with you today is this. If you want to find peace with God and find happiness and contentment and live an anxiety-free life, the first thing that Paul tells us is we have to talk to God. We have to go to him and have a conversation with him. And in verse six, Paul uses three very different words. He uses the word prayer and supplication and then thanksgiving. Now prayer is simply bringing our request to God, but it carries with it the idea of worship. And when we find ourselves worrying about things in our lives, the first response should be to pray, to get alone with God and to worship him and to adore him. And as you worship him, as you reflect upon him, as you speak to him, you'll be reminded of his power and his might, his glory and his unfailing love and his wonderful attributes and all of the care that he has for your life. And you'll find in that moment of prayer as you're coming to God and speaking to him and bringing your request to him, you'll be reminded of who God is and that God is with you and that God cares for you. So our, the first key is to talk to God and to come to him in prayer, which carries with it the idea of worship. Paul also says in that verse, supplication. And, and that carries the idea of kneeling down to ask. It's an earnest sharing of our needs. It goes beyond merely asking God for something, but it denotes calling out to him for help. It's realizing that, that we know that God is able. 
it comes from a heart that acknowledges that, that God, we are dependent upon you. That anything in my life, God, that is going to be good, that's going to be, bring me peace, that's going to bring me happiness and joy and relieve me of the anxiety that I feel, it's only going to be by your power. Supplication is crying out earnestly to God for help. And the last word that he uses in verse 6 is the word thanksgiving. In my own life, I think as I think about my times of communion with God when I'm talking to him, this one I think is the one that's most lacking. I see a lot of myself and my kids. You know, as a parent, sometimes your kids will ask you for something and sometimes they don't and you'll just do things for them. And they don't say thanks and, and you don't do it for the thanks. But at the same time, when your child out of a heart of gratitude says thank you for what they've done, for what you've done, it does something to you inside. And I think as a Christian, I'm, I'm too guilty of this, that many times I spend my time, especially on the prayer and supplication, making my request to God and earnestly asking him for my needs. But when God meets my needs, I don't spend enough time saying thank you. In your Bible, I want you to turn to Daniel chapter six. Hold your spot in Philippians four. But in Daniel chapter six, there's a great example of this kind of praying. You'll remember the story of Daniel that a decree went out uh, by the king that no one was to pray to anyone but him. And so in, when that decree went out, you'll remember that, that when Daniel heard the decree, he did something. If you'll look in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed, there's that first word, and then you see, and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So prayer, going to God with his request, and then thanksgiving, you see it there in that verse. And then notice in verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. There's that word supplication. And you'll remember the story that Daniel, even though the decree had gone out, refused to pray to someone other than God and refused to cease his prayers to God. And the king threw him in the lion's den. And, and I, I, what I see there is this picture that Daniel prayed and he gave thanks to God and he pleaded for God's help. And God miraculously saved him from the mouth of the lions. So as children of God, if we're going to have peace in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances, and find happiness and be able to rejoice in the Lord always and to have God's peace, we've got to talk to him. We have to pray and make our supplications before God and give thanksgiving. But I don't, I don't want you to miss one important phrase in verse six. Do not be anxious about anything that's all inclusive, but in everything that's also inclusive by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What do you really go to the Lord about in prayer? I want you to think about that. What do you really go to him about? Most of us, we pray before our meals, and that's usually just a few seconds to thank God for his provision, and we should do that. And some of us maybe pray in the morning, we pray in the evening, and a lot of times we'll spend time in prayer when we have big decisions in our lives. But Paul says, in everything, just as we are to rejoice in the Lord always and to be anxious about nothing, 
we are in everything to talk to God and make our request to him by prayer. Warren Wearsby in his commentary on this passage said this, talking to God about everything that concerns us and him is the first step toward victory over worry. A lot of times when we're worried or anxious about something, we go to God last. We try to figure everything out and then when we can't, we come to God and say, God, we need your help. And we need to reverse that. Regardless of the circumstance we're in, whether it's something big or something small, we need to come to God first. And perhaps the amount of time that we spend worrying about it is directly tied to the amount of time that we spend praying and bringing our supplications to God and giving thanksgiving to Him. So the first key to live that peace-filled life of joy and happiness that's worry-free is to talk to God. The second key is in verse 8. Paul reminds us that we're to think on God. In verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That word think is actually a very interesting word. It's a word that would be used in accounting. And it means to take an inventory, to count or to calculate. And we count to see what's there. And we also take inventory to see what shouldn't be there. When I was in college, I had a job at a shoe store. And, and every year we would have to take inventory. And we'd have to mark everything. We'd check the computer system to see about inventory, make sure we had the number of shoes and, and all the things that we were selling in the store to make sure that everything was matching up. And that's the idea that he's talking about when he says to think on these things, to take an inventory of your thought life. Are you thinking about things that are true? Are you spending your time on those things that are honorable and just? Is your mind focused on things that are pure and lovely? Are you thinking and meditating upon things that are virtuous and praiseworthy? Take an inventory for a moment. Have you been watching Tiger King? Which of those words do you think would match up with that? Les and I were sitting down the other night and we were turned on Netflix. We were going to watch a movie and Netflix will give you the categories of movies. And one of those that we found just kind of weird and different was violent movies. You know, some of them will be critically acclaimed movies, dramas, actions. This one, the, the entire category was violent movies. And Leslie said, that's such a weird thing to, to, uh, to label this particular set of movies. And as she was saying that, I was thinking like, yeah, it really is. How would that in any way lure us into watching it? And yet we know that that's what happens. When the movies come up, maybe you've selected something you're going to watch and they give you the rating. And maybe if you're like me, you'll look at what the rating is and why they've given it that rating. And for many of us, we just kind of go past that and we don't even really give a second thought about what is coming into our minds. What are the things that we are really thinking about? Are we thinking on the things that are lovely? Are we thinking about God and his word? Are we really reflecting upon all that we have in Jesus Christ? Are we really thinking on those things that are true and honest and of a good report, those things that are praiseworthy? Are we allowing too many things in our minds to really control what we're thinking? The psalmist in Psalm 19 wrote these incredible words in Psalm 19 and verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And you can see in that psalm a parallel to Philippians chapter 4 in verse 8 that the word of God, the precepts of the Lord, they're right and the commands of God are pure and the fear of the Lord is clean and the rules of the Lord are true. What are the things that have captured your mind? You see, I believe there's a principle in the Bible that whatever gets our attention gets our affection. Whatever we set our minds upon are the things that we begin to love. And I think that much of what we worry about and fear and the reason that we don't have the true happiness and joy that we ought to have is that we've allowed our minds to think on other things. But Paul calls us that, that we as believers are to talk to God in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, but we are to think about God. We are to set our minds on the things of God. And the third key is found in verse 9. Paul writes, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. A couple of weekends ago, our uh, leadership of the church went away for a retreat and we were talking about uh, on ESPN, the, the TV show, The Last Dance, which documented the Chicago Bulls uh, last run toward a championship. And it made me think back, it was very nostalgic to think back to the different players that I really enjoyed watching when I was a kid. And one of those at the early uh, age was Larry Bird. He played for the Boston Celtics, was just this incredible player. Years later, after his career was over, I, I heard him giving an interview and, and talking about an episode when he was a sophomore in high school. He had broken his ankle, and that year he was nursing that broken ankle. But his team made the playoffs and made it to the state tournament. And at the end of the game, even though he was still nursing that broken ankle, uh, the coach put him in the game because he knew it was a foul situation. And so here's Larry Bird, who's kind of you know injured, hobbled a little bit. He steps up to the free throw line. He sinks him, and they, they win the game. And Larry Bird said that was the moment that he knew that he wanted what he wanted to do for the rest of his life, to be a basketball player. Uh, but the reason the coach put him in the game, he shared, was this story, that when he had hurt his ankle and couldn't play basketball, Larry Bird every day would show up in the gym early before everyone else, oftentimes before school, and he would have his crutches with him. And he would prop himself up on the crutches and he would shoot 500 free throws a day. And he would often, in his practice, try to make 99 in a row before he quit. It's just unbelievable dedication to the game. But one of the things about shooting is muscle memory. If your arm moves in that certain uh, way so many times your muscles memorize what it's like to shoot a good shot and he wanted to know that he had practiced so hard and had such great muscle memory that when the game was on the line that that would take over and he knew that he would make the shot he, he practiced so that in the game he would be able to do it notice in verse 9 what Paul says he says the things that you have heard and seen in me practice those things Go do them habitually. Make habits out of obedience. Do them and do them consistently. That Greek word there, practice, it means to do them habitually over and over and over again. And so here's what Paul is saying to us today in this passage. He calls us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. And to not be anxious about anything. 
to live this life where the peace of God is ruling our hearts and our minds. Is that what you want? To have that peace where you're not on this roller coaster anymore, where your life is filled with great joy and you're not up and down with changing circumstances and changing stages of life, but you're on this consistent state, in this consistent state of peace and no worry. Paul says there's three keys for us. The first one is to talk to God. The second one is to think on God. And the third one is to live for him. Every day, in every circumstance, in every struggle, in every good time and every bad time, talk to him. Go to him in prayer. Go to him and beg for your needs. Give thanksgiving for all that he's done. And then he says to think on him. Stop putting so much trash in your mind and Fill it with the things of God and then live for him. Every day, practice those things that we have seen spelled out in the word of God. And if we will do those things, we will find our minds and our hearts guarded by the peace of God. And we will be able to do, as Paul says, to rejoice in the Lord always. Will you join me for prayer today? I want to just pray that over us as we go from uh, from our Bible study today, will you join me? Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your love. We, we hear the call to rejoice in you always, but we confess, God, that our joy and our peace sometimes is waning. So help us, Lord, to talk to you. Help us to come to you and make our requests known to you in everything, in every circumstance and at all times, to talk to you and to make our petitions known. And help us to be mindful of what you've done and to offer thanksgiving to you. And help us, Lord, to think on these things. Think on you, to think on those things that are pure and true and honorable, things that are just and things that are lovely and whatever's commendable. Lord, help us to think about these things. And then, God, help us to live for you, to put those things into practice every single day. Lord, we want to be a people of great joy that are not living in worry and fear, but living in your peace. So help us, Lord, to talk to you, to think upon you, and to live out what you've called us to do. And we pray this to be done in Jesus' name. Amen.